What I had been sort of leading up to several times, I had challenged us with um, being excited about expectation, looking forward to Jesus' second coming, the rapture of the church, or anything like that. Are we excited about that? We had looked at uh, some Old Testament people that were in expectation of the Messiah to come. Uh, Simeon, Anna, and a bunch of others that I had mentioned, they were excitedly expecting something, but they weren't just sitting back and doing nothing. And so I challenged all of us. And so I guess what I want to take that one step further and look at a message. And my title I've got, Am I Ready? Am I Ready? And we're going to be looking at the parable of the ten virgins, which is found in 25, uh, Matthew 25, 1 to 13. And as we, as we look at that, um, this is my synopsis of, of, of the overall message, and then, then I'll move forward. Each of, us has come to an under, each of us has to come to an understanding of who am I going to serve and make the most important decision in my own life, whether to surrender my will and follow the will of God, which is living for Him and desiring and allowing the Holy Spirit to be indwelling in my personal life. No one else can, can do, no one else can make that all-important decision for me. I have to make that decision by myself. And so that's sort of where we're going, we're going to end up at. And um, as, as was mentioned this morning, um, looking forward to Jesus' return, what comes before that. We read in the Bible, perilous times, unstable times, wars, rumors of wars. And um, so that's not a fun thing to face. It's not because there's so many unknowns. And we, especially, I I know I tend myself, I want to know what's going on. And if you don't know what's going on, um, you feel sort of uneasy. So, um, So in perilous times, we have uh, promise we have scriptures in the Bible that warn us of those perilous times. And in 2 Timothy 3 1, it says, But I know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. So that right there we have it. Perilous times will come. And then from the rest of, rest of the cha- uh, part of that chapter, 2 Timothy 3, it talks about there's a whole list of selfish acts that us as human beings do. And it's just going to be more pronounced. And it's going to be more of that. And we could also look at Proverbs 6. I had, I had a list of six and seven things there uh, the last time I preached. And looking uh, at, at those things, we looked at the story that I had, the different animals that had the different characteristics. And who was the, who was the most gracious? Who was the, who was the, the animal that we, we most would want to be? It was Sable, the crippled rabbit, right? Because she was still looking forward to Messiah coming. And even though they were sort of disappointed, they were looking for a king to come. And then there was a, what, is a peasant and his pregnant wife that came and visited them in the stable. Um, But still, we know there's things in the Bible that it talks about perilous times. And so we become anxious about that anxiety can fill our lives but there again we have lots of promises in the bible that we can reach out to that can assure us that we, we're not doing this on our own and as we look at that philippians 4 6 be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to god be made known to god and so we have a place we can turn to when we become anxious and so I hope that we can all do that in these last times. There's a quote that I found. It says, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety, just getting trapped in that anxiety, that's optional because we can turn to our God. We can turn to friends. We can share and so I trust that we can do that. When we sort of be, feel overwhelmed and feeling anxious about something, let's not keep it stuffed in. We sort of know what that happens. We went through something, an experience here in this 
church that somebody did not share. And he took his own life. So let's remember to not do that. Let's turn to our Heavenly Father. He is there for us. And there again, in the following verse found in Philippians 4, verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There again, we have a promise. The peace that passes all understanding. We don't understand it. But it's there if we call upon God. It might not come in one big glob. It might come in small steps. But God wants to provide that peace for us. And then we talk, we're talking about end times and different things like that. And I've ta- had several some conversations with somebody and talking about the book of Revelation. How many of us lo- like to dig through that? That's, ugh, that's heavy stuff to dig through. But it's there for a reason. And so many times we approach Revelation and the end times and the prophecies with trepidation. Because it's like, I don't understand this. I mean, look at Revelation, look at Daniel, and how, how, do, how do all these things tie together? It doesn't even make sense. But I think we should approach it, we know what the outcome is, right? So we should be approaching it with expectation, celebration, and excitement, not, not just this trepidation about the end times, because we know what, what's going to happen. So I think for myself, it's challenging to be able to to do that and have that expectation, not trepidation when we look at end time things. There's lots of things you can get in with end time things. Uh, I'm not going to delve into that because you have lots of different opinions, lots of different uh, takes on how this is all going to happen with the rapture of the church, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Who wants to get into all of that? Let's just look forward to whatever God has in store for us, right? But, uh, so I'm not going to get into that because that's a whole other subject. I'm not going to get into that today, but anyway. So what I'm going to focus on is the title of my message. Am I ready for all of those things that are going to be happening? Am I ready for the rapture of the church? Or the second coming of Christ? Or, here's the other question. When my life here on this earth will end, am I ready? Am I going to be ready to meet my Savior? That's, that's my challenge this morning. Am I ready? We don't need to understand. We don't need to know everything. But am I ready? And I don't know how many of you have had experiences with loved ones standing beside them as they passed on to eternity. Our family had a very meaningful experience with Lisa about 10 minutes before she passed. And I'm not sure if all of you know if I've shared with everybody. We gathered around her and she had been incoherent for several days had never opened her eyes during that time. But about 10 minutes before she passed, all of a sudden, her eyes were wide open. And her eyes were moving back and forth. She was seeing something that we couldn't see. And what a blessing that was for us as a family to realize, was she ready? It sure appeared like that. Am I ready? Am I ready to be able to respond in the same way? Looking that when Jesus calls me away from this earthly dwelling here, or if he comes back, or if he takes us back in the rapture. <clears throat> we also have this promise found in Philippians 2, 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and those on earth... And of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone's going to confess whether they want to or not. I want to. So I want to prepare my heart to be able to do that. I want to be able to do it joyfully. So let's turn to Matthew 25 and read from the scripture there. 
First 13 verses. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wife, the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've looked at this scripture, we just ask that your spirit would be here this morning. Lord, just grant me the words to speak. And if I say something that is not true, just blot that from everyone's mind. And Lord, just as we look at this, look at this, this passage and ponder the question, am I ready? Help it to be a time of examination of ourselves and myself. Ask your blessing upon the word as I expound upon it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, I want to sort of cover a little bit as far as Jewish wedding traditions. I did not delve into a lot. I did a little bit. There's so much there. So I just tried to catch the main points of it, of a Jewish wedding. And it is very interesting how much this uh, this parable, what Jesus taught, the Jewish people fully understood. It's tied back with the Jewish wedding as far as the wedding of the church being the bride and Jesus Christ. It's all parallel. It's really interesting to delve into that. So there's, there's four different steps in, in what happens at a wedding. First of all, I'm sure most of these young folks down here would not readily agree of the tradition that used to be the parents arranged your marriage. Would you guys enjoy that? Somebody say yeah, and some say no. I'm not quite sure. Talk to your parents, see what, what comes out of it, I guess. But anyway, usually, as far as, I'm not sure what standards they went by, but it was two sets of parents. They thought, well, hey, my son, that'd be a good fit for their daughter. Let's get together and, and negotiate. Let's get together and, and discuss this. And so there was this time of negotiating, discussing, trying to figure out, and then they sort of come up with a, a, a dowry amount, a payment that uh, the bridegroom would have to make to the bride's family. And uh, so anyway, there's that, that aspect of it that I'm sure most of us would not agree with that. I just sort of, that seems a little bit goofy. But hang on, there's a little bit of a, of a caveat a little bit later on that there's, the bride does have a chance to say yes or no to accept that. But uh, anyway... Then we look at the church. We look at God and the relationship with the church. We as a bride. Did God go to the negotiating table with whoever's in charge of the church? As far as what's going to be the price that the the dowry is going to have to be paid for the bridegroom marrying the uh, the bride? He didn't negotiate. He just came to the table and offered his son's blood to pay for the price for us to be the bride. There was no negotiation. That's love. He loves us. He loved us so much that he gave his sons and Jesus fully accepted that price as well. The blood of Jesus. That was the dowry for us. 
And so think about that. I'm trying to bring out some parallels with, with the Jewish wedding and the parallel and, uh, and everything along. Then there's acceptance. Once the bride was within marrying age, what was considered marrying age, age 12 to 16, what do you parents think about that? Pretty young. I told my youngest daughter she can't marry until she's 32. I don't know if she's holding out or what, but... (laughs) No, but anyway, um, 12 to 16, the bridegroom at that time would come with a glass of wine and offer it to uh, to the bride, basically asking her, will you accept this marriage, this commitment, this betrothal? And if she drank of the wine, it was a sign of acceptance that she would be accepting of the arrangement that the parents had made previously. So, um, looking at that, uh, how does that relate to us as a church? What do we do that might be accepting getting ready for the marriage feast, the marriage supper? We partake in communion, don't we? We drink of the cup. And so when I'm drinking of that cup, think of that next time. I'm accepting the bridegroom's asking or the arrangement that the the betrothal, uh, the, the dowry that God has put in place for us. I'm accepting to be a part of that, that part of the ceremony. So it's just fascinating to look at how Jesus was teaching and how God teaches us through things that are common every day. We're part of their everyday lives. And it makes sense when you dig into it. And we have an example in the Bible, Rebecca. Um, Abraham sent his servant. He needed a bride for Isaac. And once they were there, he, the, the, the servant found him and then they went in. And then when they were about ready to leave... They said, well, this, this verse here, Genesis 20, 24, verses 57 and 58. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And so um, we have that example that's given. Don't read about drinking the cup of the wine, but... She consented to be Isaac's wife and went then with them and traveled back. And never having known him at all, she didn't know who this guy was. And so after that, the acceptance, the bridegroom offers a cup, the bride takes it, accepting it, then the dowry is paid, then the bridegroom goes back home. And he, he, he now needs to prepare a place for his, for his groom, for, her, for his bride. And so either he attaches to his father's house or builds a new one on his, a new home on his, on his dad's property. And he's getting ready for the bride to come home and be his bride permanently, forever. And Jesus did the same thing, didn't he? In John 14, verses 1 through 4, it reads this way. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go... And where I go, you know, and the way you know. So there again, he's going to prepare a place. That's where Jesus is right now. He went up, and we're waiting for his return. So the dowry's been paid. And he's going back to prepare. Betrothal. Then after this is all accepted and all that is betrothal. And we looked at modern day what we do now is engagement time. Engagement and a time frame could be anything from a couple months to up to a year. The time of betrothal. And betrothal was basically you're married. 
because if you want to break off that betrothal, that engagement, there had to be a letter of um, divorcement written because it was that serious. And so during the betrothal time, it was a time of testing of the bride to stay pure and the bridegroom to finish their dwelling place. So it's a time of testing. And it's, that's, is that what we're at right now in the, in the church, church age? We're being tested. We're, growing, we're, we're learning to be grown. We're learning to be stretched. And so the, the one, one thing that comes to, to mind is the father determined when the bridegroom was going to go back and call the, call the bride. I guess, my guess is the bridegroom was always, always anxious to get back because, okay, dad, do I have it close enough finished? Can I go? Nope, not yet. But when the father knows when he can go back and then he gave the signal to go back and call upon his bride to join him at their new dwelling place. Then the coming of the bridegroom, that's an invitation and it's a time of celebration. And usually during that time, there's a, there's a time that uh, somebody goes before them and, and makes the announcement that the bridegroom is coming. And we can look at that as well. Um, who was sort of the precursor or the, the friend of Jesus announcing his coming, announcing him, his ministry? John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was also coming. He was that friend that was announcing to the Jewish people that Jesus is coming. His, his sandals, I'm not worthy to, to tie. His latch, I'm, I'm not worthy to do that. Even though he had the opportunity of, of baptizing him. And so, it's, it's also uh, in John 3.29, it says this, one, this way. This is John speaking. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. So John recognized that he fulfilled what God had brought him on this earth to do, to proclaim the coming of Jesus, to proclaim the ministry of Jesus, to come forward and to announce his coming. And so the friend, that's what the friend is doing as well when they, came, they, they make the announcement, the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. Be ready. So as we have, have a little bit of background there, those four different um, steps in, in the Jewish wedding. First of all, it's the, the parental arrangement. Then there's the acceptance. Then it's the betrothal. And then it's the coming of the bridegroom. And we'll see all of those steps in, in, in order as we look at this parable that Jesus laid out before us. And so as we look at that, let's go back to Matthew 25 and look at that again. We're looking at the parable again. And as we look at verse 1, there it says, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. How many of you have, probably have different versions than I have here? Does it mention anything in there about the bride in your Bible? Look at it close. Does it say to meet the bridegroom and bride, or does it just say the bridegroom or the groom? Is there any, any of the modern translations that says bridegroom and bride? Footnotes, okay, but that's not in the text. So, did, dig, did a little bit of digging, and you go back, there's, a, there's a, a translation called the Aramaic Version Bible, which was written about two, in the 200s. So it was right soon after all of this had happened. And it, it states it this way. Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins. The same took their lamps and went to meet the groom and the bride. Gives you a little bit different perspective, doesn't it, on what it's actually saying the groom, and the bride. So, I won't get into that because I'm going to focus most on the virgins, but it's a whole sermon could be preached on that, a different look, and what's that mean? Does it truly mean the bridegroom and the bride? Um, anyway, it has to do with the church rapture, 
all of that. It's all exciting. It's a lot of things to talk about and delve into, but I won't get into it this morning because I want to focus on, am I ready for whatever is coming? That is the most important thing this morning. So anyway, also there, and it talks about 10, the 10 virgins. What does 10 represent? 10 represents completeness, perfection. Usually in a Jewish gathering or a ceremony or a meeting, they needed a quorum of 10. They needed 10 men to be able to conduct business in that way or to have a church service or something like that. 10 is completeness, perfection. And so we have these 10 virgins that the kingdom of heaven is likened unto 10 virgins. And so we're looking at that, the kingdom of heaven, what is that likened unto? 10 virgins. What's the 10 virgins represent? The church? The remaining church here? Whatever? Lots of, lots of questions. But then Matthew 18, now in, in, our, in our age, in the New Testament, it says where two or three are gathered together, there I am. Right? So, um, but there, we can still have fellowship one with another. The Holy Spirit, that, this was before the Holy Spirit was there. And so we look at that, we look at the ten virgins, and we go on to verse 2. Now, the, now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Then it, verse 3 goes on to explain a little bit more. And we learn about, we know, there's a song too that we sing. And there's another parable about the foolish man, the wise man and the foolish man built their house on the rock or built it on the sand, right? And so there again, wise and foolish. Wise is mentioned first because that's what we want to focus on. We want to be the wise ones. We don't want to be the foolish ones and, and miss out on being ready for, the, for whatever God has in store for us. But I also think there that the number five has a significance. Number five is talking about human frail or human beings and sometimes our frailties or whatever. But there is also grace involved with that. Our relationship with God. God gives us grace for our failures. But we still have to do something in order to be in right relationship with God, right? We still have to make that decision. We still have to do something. Doing that, doing works is not going to get us, but making the right decision in following and asking God to be our Lord and Savior. That's the right thing to do. And so grace is, is it being extended down to us. And so I think there are the five. We could delve into that a little bit more, but I'm not going to this morning. Uh, the number five, but grace is being extended. And five of them chose not to be wise. As we look at verse 3, go on to read there. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. That is pretty foolish, isn't it? If we look at that, no oil. What are they thinking? What are they really seriously thinking? Because the oil is so key to what they want to celebrate or what they want to be involved in. And so, am I going to... Be that foolish person and not be prepared. Verse 4, it talks about the lamps and the oil. And it could, be, it could be a handheld lamp. It could have been a torch, whatever. But it still needed oil. I mean, if you have torch, you wrapped, had a stick and wrapped some cloth around it. And you poured some oil on it and you lit it. And then if you needed some more, then you dip it in some more oil or pour some more oil to keep it going. And in your lamp, if that started running out with the wick, we talked about that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Trimming the wick. Getting it prepared. Preparation, preparation. Right? We need to be prepared for what God has in store for us. Which is spending eternity with him in heaven. We need to be prepared. And so the ones that um, would have, that are prepared, they're going to go with the bridegroom and the others weren't. But anyway, we'll get into that. Representation. What does the oil represent? The oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because the lamp is filled with oil. The torches have oil on them. And if we are filled with oil, with the Holy Spirit, we are living our lives the way God wants us to. We have taken that step and asked God to be our Lord and Savior. We, are, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in our lives. And so as we look at John 7, verses 
37 to 39. John 7, verses 37 to 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he was predicting what was coming. He was foretelling of the Holy Spirit. And he said there, he who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Extension of God through us. We, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to do what God wants us to do. We're going to serve. We're going to see needs around us. We're going to spread the gospel. We're going to want others to be able to follow Jesus as well. So when we're filled with the oil, the Holy Spirit, we have taken the right steps. One of the purposes of uh, God's purpose since the beginning has been to dwell with humanity and enjoy fellowship with us. He does it in this, in this dispensation through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the definition for dispensation, for those of you who don't know, the method or scheme according to which God carries out his purposes towards men. So basically saying he does it in this dispensation, this time period, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit occurs automatically when you accept Jesus as your heart. In your heart, when you are saved. It's not an experience, but it is a spirit-filled. It produces spiritual experiences. It remains permanently. The basis of all, it's the basis of all the other ministries of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling in us. The indwelling leads us, makes us Capable of doing things that God wants us to do. And is the source of new life of a believer. So we have to remember that as well. We get regenerated. We are a new creature. The old creature is left behind when we ask God to be our Lord and Savior. So the Holy Spirit needs to be within us. And so the foolish ones did not, they didn't even carry any oil with them. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? That they think, eh, maybe I'll get it later. Eh, I don't know. I'll have time. Now let's go on to verse 5 there in Matthew 25. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. They slumbered and slept. Now obviously there was if at night, late at night, it's midnight. What, are, what do our bodies want to do? They want to shut down. They want to sleep. They want to be refreshed. So that's not abnormal that we sleep. We even know that when Jesus' disciples in the garden, they slept. He came back to them. Pray. Why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you fall into temptation. He knew what was coming. They didn't. But they were not prepared And it says there in verse 6 as well, midnight. And at midnight a cry came, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. There again we look at the announcement that was made. John the Baptist, he made his announcement about Jesus. But the bridegroom, he was a friend of the bridegroom. And so that was his responsibility. Go ahead and tell him about what is happening, what is happening. And also, as we looked at midnight, when was there another announcement made? When was there another happening in the Jewish people's lives at midnight? It was when they were leaving Egypt. It was the Exodus. At midnight, a cry went out. At midnight is when they said, get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. So they had to be prepared for that. And is, is, it, is it signifying? Is it the literal midnight that it's talking about? In our lives, in the church life now, in our chaotic life that we are, have here on this earth? Or is it depicting spiritual darkness that we're facing? Is it depicting spiritual darkness? Another person that we can think of in, in colonial American time who went out and made an announcement. Paul Revere. The British are coming. The British are coming. 
He wanted them, the, the, the colonials, the colonial people to be prepared. Get ready. We have to get ready for what's coming. And so we need to do that. We need to have oil in our lamps in order to move forward. And then in verse 7, it goes on and says this, in this way. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. They had to make sure. It says, they all arose and trimmed their lamps. So even the ones that didn't have oil, they could still trim their lamps and get it ready. But that's about all they could do, right? That's about all they could do is just trim it. They weren't fully ready. What's that mean? What's that mean? Well, let's look at verse 8 and 9. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. I'm not giving up any of my oil. What's that talking about? What is that? What's Jesus trying to teach us through this parable? Obviously, they weren't prepared. And if we need oil, it's going to be lighting our paths physically and spiritually, right? Because if we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to guide us where we need to go and what we need to do. Are we listening? But it can also be in, in the physical sense. The light is lit with oil, lighting the way because it's in the middle of the night that the, the bridegroom was going to be coming. And the lamps and the torches, they're sort of like a symbol of Hey, we're in this group. We're in. We're in. Are we in here just because we're all sitting on the pews? Are we in because we're sitting here? That's a challenge. Am I ready? Am I in? Am I the in crowd with Jesus Christ and God? Just because I'm sitting on a pew, just because I go to church, just because I go to Sunday school, just because my mom and dad were... Christians, just because my grandparents were Christians, am I in? Am I part of that? Am I the wise person or am I the foolish person? Which one, which one am I? Now we can look at the, the five foolish ones. They didn't have any oil. They weren't prepared. What were they? They were pretenders. They were just pretending to pour. It looked good on the outside, right? I've got my lamp, got my torch. I'm ready. I'm all ready to go. I don't have my oil though. Do I have my oil? Do I have my oil? I can be sitting in church. I can do, be doing whatever I need to do. I can go on missions. If I don't have the oil, the Holy Spirit, it's not going to do me any good. It's not going to do me any good. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God makes a way. He makes provisions for us to have the Holy Spirit, to have the oil. He wants us. He doesn't want us. What's it say? He did not appoint us to wrath. He made us to have fellowship with him. Sin entered the world and disrupted that. And so he had to give, sacrifice his son Jesus on our behalf so that we can do that. But we still have to accept that offering. We still have to accept that gift. And like I said earlier, what were those five virgins thinking? The five that did not have the oil, what were they thinking? I've got plenty of time. Shucks, it could be still another month. I don't know, but I'm, I'll have plenty of time. It's a procrastinator. I'll ask Jesus into my heart on my deathbed. I'll have time. We don't know. We don't know when our last day is, when we take our last breath. We have no idea. Giving an example of a story, an illustrate, illustrative story that I heard was about, about Satan. And he had his workers around him and he said, well, how can, we, how can we convince the people on the earth that, that they need to follow us, that there's no God, there's really no God, and that they should not follow Jesus Christ? One of them said, hey, I got an idea. Let's just tell them there's no heaven. There's no God, there's no heaven. Satan said, well, it'll work for a little while, but it's not going to be fully, it's not going to be the, the full punch that we need. Another one raised their hand, hey, I know what. Just tell them there's no hell. There's no punishment for not following Jesus Christ. There's just nothing. There's no hell. It's just we're all going to live in bliss forevermore. Nope, that's not what we need. 
That's not what we need. It'll work for a little bit, but then after a while, it's not going to work because we know that God has put something in our hearts to have a relationship with somebody. And God wants that relationship with, with us. We need to have that relationship with God. Third one raises in, aha, I think I've got it. I've got it. What, what, what idea do you have it? Just tell them they have time. Just tell them they have all kinds of time. They can wait. It doesn't matter. They don't have to do it right now. Yeah, sounds good. I want to give my life to Jesus, but I can wait. When I'm ready, in my own time, in my own, I still want to be in control. Yes, that is a perfect thing. So let's not get caught up in that. Let's not get caught up in, I can wait. But truly you can't. There's no way that you can wait. It is now. It is now is a day of salvation. We need to get that in our heads. We can't be deceived by Satan thinking that we have time. That's what the foolish virgins thought. They thought they had time. They got caught. Let's see if I can do this right. Aha. You guys remember this when I showed this to you? I know some of the kids from the Haven know these things. The four most four important things to remember in life. I don't want any of the kids to say it. I want to see how many of the, the adults remember what it is. What was the first one? What's the first one that we had learned? Guess I'm going to have to resolve to the kids. Okay, what is it? What's that? God loves me. You're right. So it's just sort of a thing that God loves me. We have to get that into my, our hearts. God loves me. I have to get that in my heart. What's the second one? I have sinned. sinned. We have to remember that too. It's in progression here. I have sinned. What's the third one? What? Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. And the last one, what I want to, what I've been focusing on this morning. What is the last one? I need to decide to live for God. Yep. Basically the same thing, yeah. I need to decide to live for God. And I usually tell the kids at the Haven, nobody else can make that decision for you. Mom and dad can't do that. I can't do that. Grandparents can't do that. I am personally responsible to make that decision in my own life. We can't rely on it. And we can't wait. We can't wait thinking that I've got time. Look at what the foolish, foolish uh, ones did. They waited. They got caught. So it's very important that we do not get caught in this way. First Corinthians ten twelve says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We can be sort of self-confident, can't we, at times, thinking, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. But where are we as a church with each other? Do I hold other people accountable? Do I want somebody to hold me accountable? Where am I at in my walk with God? Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Can we ask other people? Do you have your oil? That's getting too personal. Do you have your oil? I don't think it's too personal. Because it's, it's a very pertinent question. Do I have the oil? Am I ready? So that's what the five foolish, foolish did. They were waiting. They were thinking they could ba- get bailed out. We can't bail anybody else out. So anyway, let's look at verse 10. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. The door was shut. Can't get in. Where's another Bible story? Noah's Ark, right? For 120 years he preached, and they still didn't accept. For 120 years. 
My guess is they regretted not listening and not doing, I'm sure. And what did the others do? Verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, 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 open up, open up. We're here. We got our oil now. Come on, help us, help us. Come on, Lord. Too late. It's too late. Once we're standing on the judgment before the Lord, it's too late. It's too late. Let's read Matthew. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You practice lawlessness. And the word know there means it's past, present, and future. I never knew you in the past. I don't know you now, and I won't know you in the future if you don't have the oil. If it's too late, if you have to knock at the door and say, let me in, let me in, it's too late. It's too late. Let's go on to verse 13 of Matthew 25, and we're going to wrap this up. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. What did I say about that? The Father is the one that knows. Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But my Father only. So we don't know. Now is the day of salvation. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. It can be tough. It can be rough. But am I ready? Am I truly ready for what God has in store for my life, which is eternity in heaven? So I want to leave you with this, conclusion and challenge. Believe and confess Jesus. Believe and confess Jesus. That is the most important thing you can do today. Those of you that have not, those of you that need to renew, I did a lot of soul searching when I was getting this ready. Am I ready? Do I have oil in my lamp? Do I have oil in my lamp? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, if, if I confess, God's going to do his part if I do my part. Right? There's a promise. And so we look at that. We look at the ten virgins. The wise virgins, the foolish virgins. The wise, the foolish were professors. They professed that they knew Jesus Christ. The wise virgins, they possessed Jesus Christ. They had him in his heart. The wise, the wise have the oil. They have the Holy Spirit. So my challenge to you is don't be a professor. Be a possessor. Be a possess, possessor of Jesus Christ, not just a professor. I can look good on the outside, but that's not going to get me in. First John, uh, in John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. There again, some of these promises are eye-opening, right? He who does not, the wrath of God is on him, abides on him. So my challenge to you this morning, and it's been a challenge for me, getting this ready, am I ready? Whether it is for the church's rapture, whether it is for Jesus' second coming, or whether it is the end of my life here on this earth. Am I truly ready? Do I have the oil in my lamp and can I keep it burning? Just like the child's song. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. We need to have that attitude. Don't wait. Don't wait. Because there's no way if you wait, it's too late. It's too late. Could be tomorrow, 
Could be walking out here, leaving for home. We don't know. But if we have confidence that Jesus is with us, that we've given our hearts to Jesus, we know that we can have full assurance that I'm ready to meet him wherever he calls us. Am I ready? So with that, I just want to leave that challenge with you. Am I ready? I need to make that decision. And it's a, it's a heavy decision. And it goes right along with some of the things that were in the announcements. Are you ready to take that step for baptism? Just want to learn more about what God is really about. So let's stand for a word of prayer and be dismissed. And those of you that, if you need to reach out to somebody, I'm available. There's others around here that are available. Young ones, children, if you're ready to take that step, mom and dad, another friend, somebody, please reach out. Don't wait. Because the day of salvation is now. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that you have given us this parable of the wise and the foolish. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to make that decision. Help us to not say it can wait. Help us to realize it it is now. We need to be ready now because we don't know. Only you, God, you know the day and the hour. We don't know. So Lord, as we come before you, as we fellowship As we intermingle, Lord, help the Holy Spirit to just nudge. Nudge those that are struggling with, am I ready? To make sure things are right with you. We praise you and thank you that you have given us so many different instructions, so many different examples, so many different parables, so many scriptures that are reassuring to us. If we decide to follow you, you will do your part. You will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can defeat Satan in that way by saying, no, now is the day of salvation. So Lord, as I look over this congregation, Lord, I just pray that you would bless them this coming week. Be with them as they go forth. Help us to always live for you. Help us to strive to keep our lamps filled. To keep that relationship with you. To keep, your, keep our lamps burning. I'm going to commit the rest of the day, the rest of the week into your hands. Trusting in you, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.